Good morning, everybody, and Happy New Year. Well, today I'm out in a very familiar place for me. This is the Cape Trail. It starts exactly eight-tenths of a mile from my front door. And uh, I, can't, I can't number the times over the past couple decades that Toby and I and my golden retrievers before him have walked this trail. We typically go three and a half miles, and I bet it's been several thousand miles now. This area, this place is holy ground for me. Now, for a number of reasons. First off, you know, it's good exercise. Love to walk. It is uh, good for you, and I feel good after a walk. But it's also good for my soul. When I, um, when I walk, I think I'm, I'm able to pray better. A little secret about my prayer life is that when I pray and I'm sitting down inside, I tend to fall asleep. <laughs> it's true. But when I'm walking, I'm just more alert. I'm able to stay more focused on God and in, in prayer. So I pray better. I, I also think better. Just something about getting outside in God's world that uh, allows my thoughts to be just a little bit more clear. Um, I also listen. One of my rules, I don't bring any technology with me. I don't want AirPods in. I don't want to hear a podcast or music. I want to listen to the sounds around me. Yeah, we are in the city, and yes, there's, there's uh, street noise and all the other sounds that are found in a city, but, but there's also the birds chirping. There's the crickets, and in the summer, there's the tree frogs. So I, I listen. I also observe. Most of the time we walk first thing in the morning and I'm frequently out here at sunrise. And um, there's something about a, a beautiful sunrise that reminds me how big God is, how small I am, and in comparison how small my problems are. So um, it's just, um, it's good for my soul. The fourth century, the great Saint Augustine, one of the church fathers, uh, said in Latin, Salvatore ambulando, which is Latin for, it's solved by walking. Now, some people believe that he is quoting the Greek philosopher Diogenes when he says that, um, which means that that wisdom has been with us for a very long time. It's solved by walking the problems that we have. Sometimes I come out here, my, I've got challenges and, and I'm working through problems and it just get a little more clear when I'm outside. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard said this, he said, above all, do not lose your desire to walk. Every day I walk myself into a state of well-being and walk away from every illness. I have walked myself into my best thoughts and I know of no thought so burdensome that one cannot walk away from it. And I've just found that to be so true in my life. And as I thought about why, I think one of the reasons is the pace. It's slower. And there's something about a slower pace that allows you to, to think, that allows you to observe, that allows you to listen. And, and it's also more relational. Um, when when you're going faster, relationships, I believe, are harder. Now, there, there are three speeds on this trail. There are the walkers, the runners, and cyclists. Um, walkers are more likely to talk to one another, more likely to wave and say hello. I, I also ride my bike out here, and I know how that is. And, and when, you're, when you're riding fast by somebody, you're, you rarely engage in conversation. 
Now, I used to run a long time ago, and I was so miserable running that, quite frankly, I didn't want to talk to anybody. So there's something about a slower pace that is just friendlier and, and more relational. And, of course, you get out in traffic, get out in a car, and the hand gestures you might get there, let's just say they're going to be a little different than when you get on the trail. Could it be that speed is the enemy of love? I don't know about that, but I do know that one of the most common metaphors used throughout Scripture of our relationship with God is walking with God. We talk about our walk with God. And this is mentioned in the earliest pages of Scripture. It was said that God showed up in the cool of the day to have a walk with Adam. And then one of his descendants, Enoch, had such a good and strong relationship with God. It says in Genesis that Enoch walked with God and was no more because God took him. He didn't die a normal death. He was so close to God, he just walked right into the very presence of God. And then there's perhaps the most beloved um, portion of scripture is the 23rd Psalm. And it has several allusions to walking in it. You know that Psalm. David wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He uh, leads me to green pastures. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you are with me. You hear all those allusions to walking? We'll come back to that in a moment. Because um, today we're going to begin, we're beginning a series that we're calling the speed of God. Not about you, when you hear that phrase, the speed of God, what do you think about? I've asked several people that over the past couple of months and get varied responses. Some inevitably think fast because what? God is light. Light travels at the speed of 186,000 miles a second. Um, maybe, maybe that's it. But isn't it interesting that when God shows up in our world, in this thing that we call the incarnation, God becoming a human being, one of us, that he walks. Jesus walks. Everywhere he goes, he walks. Typical walking pace is three miles an hour. Slower. It's more deliberate. Think about it. everywhere that Jesus went, he walked. There's a few times we're told that he did otherwise, like the time he got on the donkey and rode that into Jerusalem on the day we now call Palm Sunday. And there were the couple times he got in a boat and went across the Sea of Galilee. But there was also that time, remember, when he walked across the Sea of Galilee, when he walked on the water, Jesus walked. And his most common invitation to people who would be his disciples was, come, follow me. It's the speed of God, three miles an hour. It's a walking pace. And it's what Jesus invites us to do. And so in this series, The Speed of God, the beginning of this brand new year, we wanna invite you to slow down a little bit. We wanna invite you to exhale, to take it a little easier and to walk at a, and live at a slower pace. Over the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about some of the spiritual practices of disengagement. These are practices where we, there are things we do when we engage and we're all in, and then there are times where we pull back. And it's there that we meet God 
that we walk at the speed of God. I don't know about you, when we do that, our soul is restored. And I could use some of that. How about you? So we invite you on this journey, this invitation to walk at the speed of God, to have your soul restored. Well, I asked Toby if he wanted to join me for the rest of the talk, and he uh, turned me down. Um, he said he had a prior engagement. When you uh, sleep 22 hours a day, it's, it's a hard job. You know, he's got a lot of sleeping to do. So he did not join me this morning, but he was out there for sure. So his favorite time of the day is that walk. How would you describe your walk these days? How would you describe the pace of your life? Would you say it's a healthy pace, a sustainable pace, a pace that is restoring your soul, or if you're honest, it's a pace that's depleting your soul, taking energy and life from you? Um, here in the 23rd Psalm, we see David claiming God is his shepherd. And there's a lot of things you could say about this psalm. Indeed, if you assign 100 different pastors to preach this message, they'd come up with 100 different ways to address this psalm, this beloved psalm. But I think a couple things he says here I want us to take note of. To follow the Lord as our shepherd, first, it's about pace, and then it's about direction. But first, let's, let's talk about pace. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Or the old version says, I, I shall not want. I like, I like that. I lack nothing. Just pause real quick. In our culture, whoever says that? Where do you ever hear that kind of contentment? Where do you ever hear people say, oh, I'm good. I got everything I need. I'm in a good place. Now, we live in a culture that is bombarding us, constantly telling us you cannot be at rest, you cannot be at peace until you buy this, until you own this, until you do that, and then maybe, and then we do that, and it just, it, it doesn't work, does it? But here's someone saying they've got all they need. What a, I think it's one of the reasons we love the psalm is it's a picture of contentment. And when you read it, you just want to Exhale because it's so, uh, so calming. Notice, David does not say, the Lord is my shepherd, I gotta hurry up. The Lord is my shepherd, I gotta keep pace. No. When Jesus comes along in his ministry, he takes this title. He calls himself the good shepherd. The good shepherd. And one thing I want you to note in the gospels, please look for it, you know, research it yourself, is you will never find anywhere in the Gospels where it says Jesus was in a hurry. You know, and Jesus uh, rushed down to Nazareth to take care of this pressing problem, or Jesus rushed up to Jerusalem to take care of this problem. No, you don't find that anywhere. And when you couple that with the fact that he was a public figure who would have crowds of people pressing around him and wanting to be near him, you know what kind of stress he lived under. Lynn and I have watched the, the series, The Crown. 
If any of you seen that, and uh, Princess Diana, the crowds crushed her and depleted her life. It was, it was just stressful. And Jesus just never lets that affect his soul. He's never in a hurry. Um, there was a, honestly, we miss it. There was, there's a, a pace of life that was common to our ancestors that we have simply forgotten. Our ancestors honestly had built-in replenishment through their day. Because like I shared in my walk down the trail, they would be outside frequently. You want dinner? Go get some sticks, go get some wood, and build a fire. Well, what happens when you're out there getting the sticks and finding the wood? You're in nature. Going at a different pace. You're not rushing to go get that carry out. You're making your own dinner kind of slow. It's just a different pace. Jeremiah echoes this theme. I think we hear several themes uh, here. Jeremiah, the Lord is speaking through Jeremiah. It says, this is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. He doesn't say run in it. What? And you will find rest for your souls. Familiar theme. You'll find rest for your souls when you look at the ancient paths. Our ancestors, again, had a, had a different, and we've forgotten this. J.R.R. Tolkien, in his fabulous series trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, has Galadriel say early on, some things that should have never been forgotten were lost. There are some things that never should have been forgotten, but they've been lost largely to our culture and the velocity at which we travel. Now, one group of people who I think have been, are more in tune with this than anyone is the Amish. And we misunderstand the Amish a lot, and sometimes we idealize them. But I think when it comes to a sustainable pace, uh, they, they, have some, uh, they have something there. Now, one thing that we misunderstand is we think the Amish are against all technology and all advances and all advancements. Actually, they're not. Um, what they do is they observe us, and they watch us closely, and they want to see us. We're kind of like the laboratory rats, and they're watching us to see how these technologies affect us. So they watched people with cars and automobiles, and after several decades, they, they, they'll call um, town meetings together, and they'll talk about it. And they talked about, should we also allow automobiles in our community? And they came to the conclusion, no, because they believed that it would lead to consumerism and a faster pace that would deplete love, joy, and peace and hurt community among them. Now, wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the wall when they had a conversation about the smartphone? Huh? There's this book, um, highly recommend. I know a lot of LaCroix people have read it because I've seen you carrying it around. I've heard you talking about it. It's uh, by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he has this one chapter called A Brief History of Speed and just how the pace has accelerated over time. And I don't need to tell you this. You just know the pace because you live it every day. He says, the Amish and other serious followers of Jesus remind us there was a time when life was much, much slower. 
There were no cars to drive, planes to catch, all-night study marathons to caffeinate our way through, no constant streams of alerts on our phones or no bottomless holes of entertainment options in our queues. Listen to this. It's easy to assume this pace of life is normal. It's not. The time famine we grew up in is relatively recent. We're still testing it out as a species, and the early results are terrifying. He says, to summarize, after millennia of, slow, millennia of slow, gradual acceleration in recent decades, the sheer velocity of our culture has reached an exponential fever pitch. My question is simple. What is all this distraction, addiction, and pace of life doing to our souls? Some things we never should have forgotten. And I think as a result, many of us suffer from hurry sickness, and I will be the first in line to admit I do as well. There are times and days, you ever have those days where you don't really have anything to do, but you feel in a hurry, and you're just always there? It's a good sign. Another good sign is how you handle lanes, like driving lanes and grocery lanes, okay? That's a good indication about how much hurry sickness has in your soul. There's a red light in front of you. There are two lanes. Do you quickly assess which one you think will go quicker and move into that lane? You, you see a big truck, right? Oh, that's going to go slow. I don't want to be behind the big truck. You look at drivers and their age and uh, see, you know, the kind of car they're driving and determine, do I go in that lane or not? You're at the grocery store and you assess, which line am I going to get in? Because I want to get in the quicker line. And you get really angry and it messes up your day if you choose badly, right? Or there's the express lane. You ever go there, 10 items, and there's somebody in front of you who has 32, you know, because you counted them and you're glaring at them, Right? You may have hurry sickness. I was going to do a 10-part uh, survey that was done, put together uh, by a spiritual writer, and I thought, ah, I think we almost all know we have hurry sickness. Probably don't need to be convinced of that. But not in this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I lack nothing. says, so he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. And that, it's, it's real calming. A sheep, a sheep really needs good, just two good things, good food and good water. And water that's not in a, in a rushing river that's dangerous to possibly stand next to, but calm, reassuring. So saying, I, I don't lack anything because I've, I've got these things. And it says, he refreshes my soul I like the old translation. He restores my soul. Restores my soul. Most of us, because of the pace that we've been living, the unsustainable, unhealthy pace, we need soul restoration. I have a couple of friends who um, have specialized in restoring old cars, and they'll take this thing, and I mean, it's a piece of junk, and they'll work on it for months and years, and then it looks like something that just rolled off the showroom. It's beautiful, but that doesn't happen overnight. Neither does the restoration of the soul. And it's about going a different pace. This book that I mentioned comes from a conversation that John Mark Comer's mentor, John Ortberg, had with his mentor, Dallas Willard. You've heard me quote all of them at, uh, frequently. 
Uh, Dallas Willard, I think, I believe history will be very good to him. He's maybe one of the sanest voices and clearest voices on the spiritual life that has lived in the last 100 years. He died 2013. John Ortberg calls him, and he was at the time getting ready to go and be teaching pastor at Willow Creek Community Church in the suburbs of Chicago. At the time, it was the largest church in the country. And so he, he calls Dallas Willard, and he asks him a question. He says, what do I need to do to be spiritually healthy, to keep my relationship with God intact and in a good place and to be a good dad and, and, and a husband? So he asked Willard this, and he said, there's a long pause on the phone, which I understand was common with, with him. He was never in a hurry. And he said, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. So John Herbert writes that down. He says, okay, great, I got that one. What's the next point? I'm in a hurry. And Willard said, there is no other point. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. It was foreign to Jesus. And if we will be followers of Jesus, it must become foreign to us. And I'm not saying that's easy. The restoration of the soul never is. It's about pace. But it's also about direction. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's talking about the Lord being the leader, the guide of his life. Now, you know what I love about the shepherd analogy as opposed to a rancher? Ranchers drive cattle. Shepherds lead their sheep. Totally different pace. Totally different approach. He's the good shepherd because he leads us. And the truth is, I need a guide. And he says this. He said, he guides me along the right paths. Now, that takes a bit of humility. Coming to, to be a follower of Jesus means that you must come in it to the end of yourself and you say, I need Jesus to be the leader of my life. I need a guide. We all do. And you may think, oh, you're a self-made person. You're not following anything. No one's guiding you. Oh, yeah, you're being guided just by the things. If we don't have any guidance, we'll walk in circles, just meaningless circles. Now, do you know that's literally true? I'm reading this fascinating book right now called Wayfinding, and it's about um, how our ancestors navigated the world, uh, not only before GPS, but way before maps were ever written. You know, our ancestors would get around all over in the wilderness and never get lost because of these old ways that have since been forgotten. One of the things they point out is that human beings will naturally walk in circles, and there was some research done um, at the Max Planck Institute for Biological Cybernetics. That's a mouthful. Uh, the re researchers were Jan Sulman and Mark Ernst, and they wanted to test out this hypothesis about our, our predilection to walk in circles. And so they blindfolded people, and they had them walk on a level area, and they said, now walk straight. And they would walk in circles. But here's the fascinating part. They would walk in a circle 66 foot in diameter. No matter their age, 
their ethnicity, their body size, no matter what. We blindfold it. You think you're walking straight. You're not walking straight. You're actually walking in a circle. What keeps us walking straight? Outside markers, landmarks, trees, roads, paths. We need help from the outside just to walk a straight line. How are we going to get through life if we don't have a guide who's going to get us outside of ourselves? We need help from the outside. We need a guide and to say yes to his direction. Now, up to now, it sounds pretty idyllic and sweet and um, calm, and, and it is, but there's more to this journey. He says in verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. To walk with the shepherd does not mean that it's going to be a comfortable, easy path. To say yes to God is to say yes to difficulty. You cannot walk through this life without trouble. You, it, some teachers would make you think that if you have enough faith, you will never have to struggle. You will never face difficulty. You will just, be, uh, you will just overcome at all times. And that is a myth, friends. Scripture does not support that. Jesus said in John 16, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer or take heart. I've overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. And I think one of the, as I've thought about this, as I've talked with others, I think... um, we have forgotten what it is to be formed by suffering. But there is, a, there is a formation that comes to our lives through suffering that cannot come any other way. Life is hard, full stop. Sometimes life means walking through dark valleys. Now, the older translation focused just on that last walk. Though I, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you can, you, can interp- you can translate it that way, but it's really broader than that. In our lives, we will walk through valleys that are dark and hard, but here's the thing, we can do so without fear because he's with us. Um, but God is with us through these dark things and walks with us, but you will face them. That's part of what it means to walk with the the Lord as your shepherd. It's part of what it means to walk through life is to go through those dark valleys. I love to hike and uh, um, took a hike a a year ago when we went on our our anniversary, went on our 40th anniversary trip to Hawaii. We went on our honeymoon to Hawaii, so we decided to go back to Hawaii for our 40th anniversary. And I took this uh, hike um, through what I think is probably best picture like the dark valley. It looks like the valley of the shadow of death. It's something you know, I've always loved to hike. It goes back to when I was young and was in Boy Scouts. And we had a very active troop and we went on hikes a lot. I love to go hiking whenever we travel. Love to find a place. All trails, any all trails friends, fans here, you know, you find that, that trail, go hiking. But 
My wife, Lena, does not like to hike, okay? So we have just kind of different views about that. And we went to Hawaii, and I said, okay, there's just one hike I want to go on. This, it's across Kilauea Iki, this crater. And, and, um, and she said, okay, so she relented. So I'm gonna sh- I kind of narrate this video as we go along, but you gotta understand, this is Linda, my wife, walking in front of me at a pretty brisk pace because she is really ticked off at me at the time. <laughs> we are walking in the crater of a volcano. Volcano um, that erupted in 1959. This was molten lava. It is now hardened and kind of looks like the surface of the river. Anyway, here we are. We just came from there, walked through rainforest. So we get to the end of the crater, and we've got a 400-foot climb in front of us. And, um, well, here's this other video. I'll let it speak for itself. (laughs) We just came out of the crater, and now we are going up the other side. Just came through there, and uh, we will ascend 400 feet to get to the top of the trail. Let's hope you're still alive by the time we get there. I think that was a threat. (laughs) Say bye. (laughs) Yes, it was the valley of the shadow of death in more ways than one. Yeah. But that's what life is like sometimes. We walk in hard places. But we can, I, I can't, and no Bible teacher worth their salt can promise you that you will not walk through a dark valley. If they do, they're not being truthful. But we can say this, you don't have to be afraid. No matter what it is you go through. Here we are, first Sunday of a whole new year. Nobody knows what this year will hold. I hope it's wonderful and good things and that your life is filled with joy and goodness and that you find those green pastures and that still water. But you may walk through a dark valley, and you do not need to fear any evil. Can I just say here at the beginning of this year, it's a presidential election year. Personally, I've come to dislike presidential election years. And one of the reasons I dislike it so much is that politicians and the media that follow them are intent on making us afraid. They want you to be afraid that if the other guy or gal is elected, that your life is going to go, you know, to hell in a handbasket. And that your life's going to be miserable. Now, I have my political convictions. Don't get me wrong. But I don't want to be driven by fear. I will not fear evil. And friends, you do not have to be driven by fear this year. No matter what happens, no matter who wins this election or that election, You can walk confidently through this year. Do not listen to the voices of fear. So uh, I'd like you to say this with me. So at the end of this presidential election year, you do not have to be afraid. You can say, "I, I will fear no evil. Would you say that with me? I will fear no evil. Yeah. If your health goes south, you get a bad diagnosis 
if a loved one gets diagnosed, get, becomes terribly ill, if you lose your job, if the economy goes in the tank, if we go into a war, yeah. and if the Cardinals have another losing season, <laughs> oh wait, that's a different, oh, that's, sorry. Do you hear that? I will fear no evil because you're with me. And if he's with you, you got everything you need. You're good. It's about pace. It's about direction. So let me ask you at the beginning of this year, is the Lord your shepherd? Can you claim him as the leader of your life? If so, I pray that you learn to walk his pace and to accept his invitation. Here's another one that has the same theme as Psalm 23 and the passage we read out of Jeremiah. Listen to this. These are the words of Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. You need some rest for your soul. Accept that invitation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you simply say, come. You simply say, come to me. So simple. Oh God, would we, would you do a work in us at the beginning of this year Would you show us a more sane way? Would you teach us what it means to live at the speed of God to walk three miles an hour? Teach us your ways, Jesus. Show us the ancient paths so that we would have our souls restored. And help, it, help us to know no matter what we face this year, that we do not live by fear because you're with us. Come, Lord Jesus, and do your work in us, we pray. Amen. We're so glad you tuned in today. If you like this video, don't forget to give it a thumbs up and share it with anyone you think could benefit. We're excited about all the content we have coming up and can't wait for you to see it. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss out. If you're curious about LaCroix or if you're looking to take the next step on your journey with Jesus, check out LaCroixChurch.org. We hope to see you again soon.